We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Herder. Today, we're going to take a little break from... (laughs) Ah, man, just taking a break from the devil, quite honestly. Um, Man, I was like, I was set. I know, like I told you guys, I was going to delve into uh, where the beast is coming from uh, and then actually getting into the components of the beast, uh, which is pretty fascinating, but... I'm just gonna. I just. I'm just gonna tell you. I'm. I'm experiencing some uh, beast fatigue right now. <laughs> I thought it'd be like, oh man, get into Revelation and and just expose all these things, and we'll just be on our way. And I'm like, oh my goodness, hitting a brick wall. So last night, I'm like, Lord, I don't think I can do like another episode here. I feel like I really need to recharge my batteries. I need to remember, God, like I need to get into Your plan. I wanna. I want to talk to talk about you, Jesus. I want to talk about uh, the kingdom of God. I want to talk about the King who's on the throne. So we're gonna push a little a pause button here on uh, Revelation chapter seventeen. Actually, I'm gonna actually continue in Revelation seventeen, but in a different vein. I'm gonna push a pause on the beast. This episode was gonna be on the bottomless pit, right? The abyss. Um, and then the, the next episode after that was going to be dissecting the components of what the beast is. I'm going to get to that um, in in some later episodes. But for now, I want to take this uh, episode in a little bit of a different direction. Um, I want to remind everyone what this is about, right? Like... It's all well and good um, to get perspective um, and really align and understand um, what God says about the enemy and what uh, expose his plan to deceive the fallen so that you know we can watch. We want to be able to watch with discernment, with understanding. But our hearts need to be connected to a much greater reality. Like, I'm not the guy who's just going to spend all of his time talking about the devil. Like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I need my heart to be energized and made alive through a direct dynamic connection with the one who sits upon the throne. You know, we go back... um, and we wonder, you know, like in my last episode, what happened to Adam? What happens to Adam's race to go from being the crown of creation, given authority to name the animals, to name the beasts of the field? God gives Adam authority over the earth And then in the last parts of the Bible, the last chapters of the Bible, we see God calling to the birds of the air to eat Adam, right? Adam's race, those who have fallen and have followed after the serpent. What What has happened? Well, that's exactly what's happened. Adam has abdicated the throne that God gave him. God made Adam to rule over his creation. Adam got off of the throne and let the serpent take his place. Right? This is the story we've been telling. And that is why we see Adam descending under these beast empires in greater and greater degrees until finally the terrifying beast of Daniel 7, this technological metallic beast is ruling over, is ruling initially in uh, tandem, in combination 
with the Ten Kings, but ultimately the Ten Kings hand their authority in this final act of humanity transferring its authority over to the devil, over to the serpent. And when the Ten Kings hand the authority over to the beast in this final transition of Adam's power to Satan, what does Satan lead Adam to do? What does Satan lead Adam's fallen race to do? He leads them to go to war against their creator, which is like the worst idea ever conceived. But this is the same exact war we see the dragon waging in uh, Revelation chapter 12, right? Revelation 12, the dragon goes to war against Michael and the angels of heaven. And Revelation chapter 17, the beast is going to war with the kings of the earth against the very same power he was warring against in Revelation chapter 12 with the same result. The dragon is as successful going to war against Michael and his angels as the beast is successful leading the kings of the earth to war against the lamb. It's the same result. It's the same war. And talking about this crazy campaign of the dragon to lead the creation against, to make war against the creator... I'm just going to tell you, it's draining. <laughs> like This is depressing. Like Sin is depressing. Evil is depressing. The devil is depressing. Like it's, when you understand it initially, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is crazy. Like, how is this possible? But then the more you think about it, like, man, this is really, this is actually pretty sad. This whole scenario that the, that the serpent is pulling off and fallen man, Adam's race going right along with it from beginning all the way to the end and seeing it completely through to the end to the point where God is calling the birds of the air to eat Adam's dead body on the the battlefield. It's sad. And just continuing to, to, to delve into it, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm exhausted. I need to understand, I need to understand God's answer to this. Um, So that's what we're going to get into today. It's actually found in Revelation chapter 17. You want to go ahead and and open to Revelation chapter 17. I'm going to pray. Lord, we ask you to open your word to us and reveal your truth, God. Exalt Jesus in your word, Lord, by your spirit. You love to exalt your son, We love to see your son exalted, and we agree with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we all love to see and hear Jesus being exalted. And God, we're just asking you just to charge our battery, to light our hearts on fire with the kingdom of God, with the glory of Jesus Christ. This plan of the evil one is downright depressing, God. And we're just asking, Father, for that hope that anchors us into the age to come, into eternity, anchoring our hope fully in Jesus Christ, in his coming and in his eternal reign. God, we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We long for your return. We long to see you appearing in the clouds. We love your appearing, Jesus. We ask you to appear in your word to us by your spirit. Show us, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Anoint this time that we have together to go deeper in faith and abound more in love that we would bear much fruit for the glory of the Father, in the name of Jesus. Go ahead and open up your Bible to Revelation chapter 17. And this is a verse, uh, we'll go ahead and and just back it up to verse 12. So we're going to go Revelation chapter 17, verses 12 through 14. The ten horns 
that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. I'm just going to dwell in those verses today. Um, We'll get more into how the Ten Kings, the network of the Ten Kings, relates to the network of the seven heads of the beast and how they all together operate as one entity um, in the episodes to come. Um, But for now, I want to concentrate on this verse that says they make war they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is lord of lords and king of kings it's it's actually a staggering prophecy a staggering point even though it it seems like uh duh <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, like, well, we really need to say that, like, the, the, you know, the kings of the earth are going to be conquered because Jesus is the king of kings. It's, it's, it's very commonsensical. So it's very easy to um, pass over this verse without giving it much thought, but it is a key, critical it's a like a there's a, it's a the crux of the final answer that God gives to the fall and he, here's what i mean the serpent the devil apollyon successfully wages a war against god by turning his creation against him, successful in a really dark, deceived, evil way, that he is able to deceive Adam and Eve and turn them against their own creator, a creator that only desires their good, only desires for them to grow in love for God, love for the Creator, love for each other, for eternity. He, the Creator, only desires the good for His creation. When, he, when God made creation, He said, this is good. When God made Adam, He said, this is good. And Adam was made for creation. Creation was made for Adam. This it's is it's his one giant unity of God's goodness and favor and blessing coming to Adam. And here Adam is trading the goodness of God over for a lie. Transferring the authority that God gave him to the serpent abdicating his throne, stepping off of the throne that God gave Adam to rule over the creation. Adam steps off and comes under the authority of a dark king, an evil king. This is the serpent. This is Apollyon, the devil. Deceives Adam and Eve takes the throne over them, usurps their authority, and rules over Adam and his fallen race in the power of sin and death. The devil uses these realities of sin and death operating in creation to bring Adam to heal. There's no escape for Adam. He is in a prison. He's in a prison of sin and death. And he is under the 
lordship of the devil, the prince of the power of the air. Adam cannot break free. His own sinful nature betrays him. He is a prisoner of sin and death. His warden is the devil. This is a catastrophic situation. And under these circumstances, Adam devolves into deeper and deeper darkness. Under the power and control of this dark king, this serpent king, this king that Adam has allowed onto his own throne, while Adam is bound in sin and death, Adam devolves in greater and greater measure until finally Adam is following the lead of the serpent to take up arms and go to war against his creator. We see this illustrated in Daniel chapter 7 with the four beast empires. Initially, the, the empires get descend into greater and greater wickedness until finally the final beast is some sort of technological monstrosity that merges the devil with humans together. And it is that monstrosity that is ruling over Adam at the end of the age. This is a desperate situation for Adam. This is a horrible circumstance with no way out. And the only thing Adam can think to do is to build his way out of the situation. So you have the Tower of Babel where Adam is trying to use his technology to build into the clouds to get his way back to God. He's trying to get his way back. But really, what he's doing is he's falling for a, another satanic trap based on the lie that his intelligence will make him like God. So Adam cannot get free. He cannot get loose. Why? Because the wrong king is on the throne. The great need for Adam is for the right king to be on the throne. You see, a kingdom is an extension of its king. So when God says the empire of Babylon is like a lion, God has Nebuchadnezzar in mind. His great mouth running off thinking he's so great. And honestly, I, here's what I believe. I believe honestly that Nebuchadnezzar had the greatest empire in human history. I, I believe that because Daniel 2, the statue, says that the empire of Babylon was gold and all of the empires that would follow were of lesser metals until you get down to the very end of human empire and you have a mixture of iron and clay together. It might look good on the outside, but God says it doesn't stick together. It's the kind of the cheapest, basest of the metals. So with Nebuchadnezzar extending himself through his empire, and to Nebuchadnezzar's credit, remember, he's the one emperor, the one king, the one pagan king who got to write a chapter in the Bible, which that's not nothing, all right? I mean, 
Nebuchadnezzar made it into the canon. Of course, God supervened. I'm not, I'm not going to say that, that this is, you know, a uh, divine endorsement of Nebuchadnezzar, but it's, it's shocking that God supervened and spoke through Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel chapter 4 in the canon, in the Bible, in the word of God was written by King Nebuchadnezzar. That's, that's pretty shocking on a lot of levels if you, really, if you really want to think about it. But it was Nebuchadnezzar extending himself through the greatness of that golden empire, Babylon. And then the kings that followed him, Cyrus, Alexander, all amazing men, but none of the same stature and quality of Nebuchadnezzar. I think Nebuchadnezzar probably goes down. Obviously, again, not a heavenly endorsement, but on the secular side of the equation, probably the greatest king of all time. Just, I mean, if God's going to give him the, the, the head of gold, and if God's going to let him into the canon, I'm going to give the nod to Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't do that. I mean, you know, he didn't do that for Alexander. Even though Alexander did have a, an encounter with the, the high priests and leadership of Israel, which was fantastic. Cyrus, uh, God specifically uh, singles out Cyrus. So yeah, honorable mention for both, both of those guys. Um, you know, Caesar is mentioned in, in, uh, in the book of Acts. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no Caesar really that, that fits that mold, but Daniel chapter seven says that those four beasts are four kingdoms, right? They're four kingdoms. And as kingdoms, they're extensions of the king. That's, that's the idea of monarchy. It's when you're the king and you're on your throne, your throne is an extension of you, like it's a, it's a symbol of your authority on the earth. It's kind of like where you touch the earth and your authority goes out from you through your kingdom. And it, it goes through, you know, in, in, in Babylon or Persia or, or Greece, you've, you've got this bureaucracy of levels of, of uh, in, in relationship to the royal court, right? In, in the center of power, you have the king himself on his throne, and then emanating from that throne, you've got, you know, circles of, of power structures and bureaucracy that carry out the king's will in different ways. Now, each of the, each of the four beasts are actually kingdoms, which is, is kind of funny when you think about it, because Rome comes along and they get rid of the king. They say, we won't have a king. In fact, if you try to make yourself a king, it's, it's legal to, to, to kill you where you stand. Rome has no king. Rome is ruled by SPQR, the Senate and people of Rome. Rome's not ruled by a king. It's ruled by its people. But God still calls it a kingdom. So it's a kingdom that is an extension of its king. God just says, well, the king, you can't see him initially. Eventually, he'll appear right at the very end. But initially, you can't see the king of Rome because he's hidden. He's in a hidden dimension behind the scenes. But you bet he is the king and the kingdom of Rome is an extension of its king. Its king just isn't a human king. It's the devil behind the scenes in control of fallen Adam, the prince of the power of the air. So here's what you have to remember about a republic, which, of course, I'm a U.S. citizen. I enjoy the benefits of a Republican form of government. And I believe in this age, the Republican form of government is the best form of government just because monarchies are so easily corrupted with, with sinful, all it takes is one sinful man. But you have to remember that a republic is only as good as the people it's founded upon. If you have a moral, upright populace that 
wills for the right, that wills the right thing, that uh, wants good and not evil, then you can be governed by people that want the good. But when the people are corrupted and the overall desire of the population is no longer for the good and for the right, but for the evil and the wicked, that's when a republic becomes a reflection of its people. Because at the end of the day, a republic is a reflection of the people it is founded upon. So like in the case of America, where initially you had a republic founded on a population of people who mostly were law-abiding, mostly wanted the good, not everyone, that it was never perfect, it was never absolutely right without any flaws, but it was founded on a people with a moral, upright people who had a strong sense of biblical right and wrong. So that's why you can have a republic last and actually pursue the right thing, actually become a beacon to the rest of the world of freedom and dignity and individual rights, all, all of the things that America has stood for. But initially, inevitably, unless the population, unless the, the people of the republic continue to seek the right, continue to be a moral people, if that ever changes, then the republic itself is a reflection of where the people are at. And that, unfortunately, is exactly where we find ourselves in America today. Our once golden republic has become corrupt and is faltering and is ready to fall. And I don't, I don't say that gleefully. I say that with great pain in my heart that our once great republic has deviated and is now founded on a people who largely do not want what is right. They just want what they want. And unless we return, unless America returns to her God, our republic is doomed. Absolutely 100%. But that's the, re the republic so in in so we've seen the devil behind the scenes able to use America now because more and more people are coming into agreement with darkness. There is a king behind the scenes that can extend his kingdom through us when we align with darkness. And that's the picture of the fourth beast. Not a monarchy on earth, but there is a king behind the scenes that is working through the people of Rome to bring his will to pass because the fallen and Satan are in agreement. Adam's fallen race is still bound by sin and death. Adam's fallen race is still in agreement with the serpent king. And he is able to extend his reach through his citizens. And this will continue on and Adam will become more and more debased in his thinking until finally he just hands the keys over once and for all, the 10 kings in Revelation 17, handing the keys over to the beast to do what? To go to war with the lamb. The lamb will conquer them. Even though the enemy will turn the created against its creator. It'll be the darkest hour in human history when created decides to take up arms to follow the serpent to war against their creator. 
but the lamb will meet them in a field of battle and will slay them all. And an angel will call to the birds of the air to come. Consume the dead bodies below. Because those who followed after the serpent, they missed it. They missed it. <laughs> Obviously. If you're going to war with the creator, being slain and then being eaten by birds, you missed it somewhere. Because God did what he needed to do. The problem was the wrong king was on the throne. That is what needed to be remedied. God remedied the situation. How did he do that? You find God's remedy in Daniel chapter 7. Go ahead, open there now. Daniel chapter 7 tells of Daniel's vision of a courtroom in heaven. When the Ancient of Days is seated, the books are open before him. I'll just read it here. This is actually uh, covered in, a, in an episode from last season. So if you're, if you're wanting to get more from Daniel 7, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Go ahead and, and look in the season from last year, the first season. There is a, an entire episode devoted to Daniel 7, the Son of Man. So it's verse 9. I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as, as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body was destroyed, giving, given over to the, be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season of time. When God sits enthroned and he gives his judgment, he judges the beasts. He judges the devil. The final combination of human and devil. He burns it with fire. He says the human empires that have displayed Adam's descent into War with me, I judge. I burn with fire. Satan's ploy to deceive Adam and Eve, to bring them to the point of making war with me, being ruled over by the serpent king until finally a technological beast of devil and man rules over Adam and leads him to war with me, I judge it. I burn it. Well, what is the alternative, God? If you're going to destroy human empire, what is your alternative? Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages will serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that will not be destroyed. 
God enthrones the Son of Man. What is God's answer to the fall of the kingdoms of men and devils, to the destruction of empire? What is God's answer to the serpent king on the throne over Adam's fallen race? God's answer is to install his king, to install the final Adam, what Adam was supposed to be, but never could be, to install the perfect man, the true king. When God enthrones Jesus Christ, the true king, he solves everything. Because the kingdom of God is the extension of its king. Jesus Christ is enthroned. He is the central power of the universe, the king and lord of all. And from him, his kingdom goes forth ever increasing, never ending. The true king is on the throne. And from the true king, his kingdom goes forth. Ever increasing, never ending. There is no bureaucracy in the kingdom of God. There is no bureaucracy. See, a guy like Nebuchadnezzar would have to set up a royal court. He would need men and women around him to extend himself into his kingdom. And then those who are around him, the royal court, the, the central power of his kingdom would carry those, his orders out into ever greater expanding circles, a bureaucracy, a governmental bureaucracy to bring his will to pass. That's how it has, that, that, that's how human government works. With a monarchy, you have a, a court, a royal court that brings your will to pass. Now, with the kingdom of God, there is no such bureaucracy. There are no layers to the kingdom. It's not like Jesus is holed up somewhere and only a few people can reach him and then we have to get word from them about what Jesus wants to do. No, no, no. That's not how it works at all. Jesus extends himself directly through each of his followers. Organized religion wants to tell you differently, right? The Catholic Church wants to tell you like, oh no, we have a priesthood. We've, we've, got, a, we've got a buffer. We've got a layer, a spiritual layer between you and God. And you, you, can't, you can't have a direct relationship with God. No, you can't do that. No, you got to do it through a priesthood. And that's why you pay them, and that's why you rely on them, and that's why they're very important because, boy, you, yeah, I'm sorry, but you're not qualified to, to uh, have a face-to-face direct contact with your maker, with the king. This is the king. The king, he doesn't just, he doesn't relate with everybody. No, no, no. You have to be really special. And you got to, usually you got to wear some sort of weird costume because like God's like super into like weird costumes. Like, 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 come on, man, I'm God. You're just going to come up and try to relate to me without some weird costume. Can't have that. Oh, that's a joke. That is a joke. The God 
extends his kingdom, not like Nebuchadnezzar or Alexander the Great. He, those guys need other people. They rely on their court. Jesus wants you to follow him. That's how the kingdom works. And that's why the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Jesus is extending his kingdom. And he's doing it through his people as they believe, as they obey, as they seek after him and his spirit has more and more way in their lives. He works through them into this fallen world. So when God installs the true king and the true kingdom is increasing, never ending, that means it's coming through the saints. It's coming through the citizens of the kingdom of God. Jesus is extending his kingdom through you and I. Hard to believe, but it's true. And it's not because we're so great. It's because he is perfect. It's because his spirit is sufficient. His grace is enough. His blood makes us clean. And he is the sovereign God. And he will work as he chooses. And he chooses to work through his beloved. He loves working through us. He loves working through you. He loves it when you seek him and obey him and believe. Wrestle with his word to walk in greater amounts of light and love, to abound in faith. Jesus loves that. And he says, that is the way I will extend my kingdom. Directly through those who are following me. There's no bureaucracy in this kingdom. Jesus is extending himself directly through faith in the heart of the saints. So this is God's answer to Adam's devolving the fallen nature of Adam. Adam's devolving down into greater and greater measures of beastliness, Adam becomes actually below the beasts. That's the story. Adam begins above the beasts, hands over the keys to the serpent king, and then under the leadership of this wicked, evil king, Adam begins the descent. He is ruled over. He is ruled by beasts until finally he is led into battle by his serpent king against the creator and becomes bird food. Bird food. Adam, the fallen race, of Adam. What a sad story, really. If you think about it, Adam, the crown of God's creation, began his opening act. God breathed into the mud, made, out of, made Adam out of mud and blood. He was of the earth. God breathes into him. God makes him to rule over the creation, the crown of his creation. Adam is naming the animals to rule over them. God gives Adam a throne. Adam's throne. A throne where 
Adam would rule together with God. And all it took was one serpent get in there and fool Adam with the lie that Adam could become like God through the shortcut of intelligence, of knowing. And here we are watching this tragedy play out in real time. We're watching Adam's fallen race fall for it once and again, over and over again, that he can become like God if he just gets smart enough. He, Adam thinks, Adam's fallen race actually think they're evolving. He, they think they're getting smarter. They're only becoming more and more deceived. But God has given his answer. God has installed the true king. The usurper has been driven off of the throne. And God has installed his king. And his king is on the throne now. Right now. And the king of the universe invites all to follow after him. The central power of the universe, the kingdom, the power of God, emanating from Jesus Christ, the center of the universe, and that invitation being open to all, that the kingdom of God would be extended from Jesus Christ through the saints and into this world, and it's available right now to all who call upon his name to break allegiance with the serpent king and declare allegiance with God's true king, to break the power of the prince of the power of the air, Apollyon, the destroyer, the one who is deceiving the nations, who is leading Adam's fallen race to rise up against the creator, to die on the field of battle, to be destroyed in Armageddon, to be made a pile of bird food. The one who ruled the beasts, Adam, destined to be eaten by the beasts, to be eaten by the ones he was, he was created to rule over. So we wonder, God, how are you going to do this? How are we going to stand in the days ahead? I mean, it, it doesn't look like a whole lot of fun up ahead. But when Jesus extends his kingdom, he says, I will make a stand. I will raise up a standard that though the enemy creates a flood, that standard will not move. The standard is Jesus himself extending his kingdom through his people. And the serpent king has no power, has no ability to dislodge the king of kings and lord of lords. And that is what fallen Adam runs into in Revelation chapter 17. When Adam's fallen race makes the final transaction and hands over his authority, the 10 kings handing over their authority to the beast, tantamount of Adam handing over his power to the serpent. That transaction will finalize the relationship between Adam and the serpent. The 10 kings handing over their power to the beast, being led into battle by the beast to the battle of Armageddon, the field of battle, the battle of the Lord God Almighty, when they will meet the lamb on the battlefield. 
Revelation chapter 17, verse 14 says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. You see, this is as far as the flood will go. When the Lamb steps onto the field of battle, when he enters into Armageddon, into war with his own creation, he will draw the line, the final line, the line that has been waiting for Adam ever since he handed the keys to his serpent king. For Adam has joined with the rebel and has joined his rebellion. The lamb draws the line. The battle of Armageddon. This is as far as Adam goes. There is no farther. He makes war with his creator. And the lamb will conquer them. He will leave them slain on the field. For he is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. Not the serpent. Not the beast. Not the dragon. Not Apollyon. The serpent king may rule over Adam's fallen race. But that is as far as his rule extends. And anyone who is part of that fallen race can join with God's true king. Can cling to him. Can be a direct conduit through which his kingdom is extended into the earth. And can stand with the true king. For those who stand with the true king are... Verse 14, those with him are called chosen and faithful, not fallen. This isn't Adam's fallen race. These are they who have rejected the serpent king, who have rejected his promises and turned away from the powers of this world and the promises of this age and have stood true and faithful to God's king, the rightful king who sits upon the throne, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His kingdom will reign forever, ever increasing, never ending. God's remedy to Adam's fall is installing his king, the true king, Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So that's the invitation today. I'm going to leave it there for now, just encouraging you saints that you are the conduits of the kingdom of God in the earth. So when you turn to Jesus fully, pray, worship, exalt, adore, follow, obey, believe in Jesus Christ, he is working directly through you and is extending his kingdom into this world 
through your abounding love, through your faithfulness, he is having his way. And his light and his power will stand forever. And that is our great hope, his appearing, his bringing an end to this rebellion once and for all. Yes, we're watching the rebellion play out. Yes, it's disturbing. Yes, it's going to get a lot uglier before it's done. Yes, yes, yes. However, God's king is on the throne. And each one is invited to a direct relationship with him. And there is no one else like this king. He loves you. He bled for you to take away your sin, to save you, so that you can rule and reign with him, just as God intended for Adam, to rule over creation with the king. He loves you. He knows you. Whatever you've done has not disqualified you. The invitation to the true king is before you. It's a whisper away. Just pray. Just reach out. Read your Bible. Get into fellowship. There are many saints. So I guess I just kind of leave it there, encouraging you today with the word of God, with God's king, his kingdom, his work. Just wanted to switch things up a little bit on this episode. I'm going to get back into the beast eventually. I'm going to get through my beast fatigue by uh, concentrating on the kingdom of God here on uh, maybe next couple episodes. I'm, I'm actually probably should just stop talking about future episodes because I literally do not know what one episode is going to be after another. My plans, like, they, they, they last for, I don't know, a couple of minutes, I guess. But I'm, I'm just trying to follow God in, in this whole process. I'm praying you are blessed. This, the reason I'm doing it is to encourage His church, to encourage His saints. Really appreciate the support out there. Um, I really, really love the fellowship. I can't do this alone. Like, I, I, I can... I can preach, I can, I can teach a little bit, but boy, do I need your, just your voice out there saying, yes, Peter, thank you, or Peter, you're getting it all wrong. I, you know, I enjoy just people coming at me going, man, you, you don't even know what you're talking about. I like that. I don't care. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> we can agree that, the, that God's right and God's word is true, and then, then let's hash it out. I'm good. Let's, let's keep it happy. And let's not get too nasty, you know, let's keep it all in love, but let's, let's go after the truth together. I'm all for it. But I just, I just invite your correspondence, however it is, go on the website, uh, drop an email to me, uh, website babylonsingularity.com, check it out. I kind of lay out the, the website, um, you know, just describing my take on how I'm, how I'm seeing Bible prophecy as it relates to artificial intelligence, as it as it relates to uh, the singularity. Um, so check that out. I got a little blog there. This is where my podcasts are posted. Um, so enjoy that. Um, if you find me on Twitter, go ahead. You can you know, direct message me. You know, give me a hard time. Let me know you're listening. Um, do me a favor. Subscribe on this. If you're, if you're listening to this on some you know, podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, hit, hit the subscribe button. Um, go ahead and drop a comment on there real quick, even if it's just a one-liner, like this is the worst podcast I've ever heard. Whatever you got, I would, I just welcome the, just like, I just need to know people are listening. I'm not just talking into the void. So it really would help me. God bless you saints. And remember, Jesus is Lord and we need to be watching the signs of the times. We need to be praying for God's redemptive purposes, his kingdom purposes in the earth, and we need to be proclaiming his gospel. So let's be let's be at it together, watching, praying, proclaiming. Till next time, saints. Bye-bye. 
That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.